Welcome back to In the Queue Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and I got to see the end credits to this movie eight times before I ever watched <laughs> the film itself. Thanks, movie theater job. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, movie theater job. I, I, I can remember so many end credits, the songs that played over them and like everything from when I worked at a movie theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched the end, end credits of Saving Private Ryan probably twenty times. Also, Star Wars Episode One, uh, which I also managed to burn a hole through oh. in the middle of a screening, right in the scene where Qui Gon bites it. I bet that was that was a good <laughs> feeling for you. <laughs> People flipped out. Oh shit! Uh, but I repaired it quickly and got them back on their feet. Uh, I am your co-host Andrew. And how refreshing it was to see a good practical effect used to such great extent in this film. Oh, it it made it warmed my heart. I feel like there were multiple practical effects that were well done in this movie. Well, I'm referring specifically to BB-8, okay, which was magnificent. Had more personality than any CGI character from any of the the. Episodes one through three. I, my heart was in my, oh. my throat for a second there because I thought you were going to say it had more personality than any of the human characters in this film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking about Star Wars, of course. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, we're going to be talking about it, just like I said. So, spoiler alert, people. Uh, it's, yeah, no up way, top, everybody. No way to yeah. avoid it. Um, we hope that you're listening because you want to get our take on this landmark film in many ways um Mm -hmm. and so you'll hopefully participate in the discussion with us online after you hear it so we're going to talk about whatever we want that has to do with this movie (laughs) so okay i'll give you sort of a first before we talk about the plot i'll let you know where you can find us on the web Um, you can go to our blog at www.in-the-q that's the letter q.com and on our blog you can find all of our shows that are posted. You can list uh, comments or requests for movies you would like us to review. And then also we have a Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In The Queue. It's spelled Q-U-E-U-E. It's one of the only words in the English language that has only one consonant. That's, that's true. Yeah, think about it. Um, and then on our Facebook page, once again, all of our shows are listed. You can leave comments and listener requests. You can also enjoy the many videos and other supplements that we post that have to do with the film that we're talking about. And we also have an iTunes account. Just go to iTunes, search In The Queue. It's Q-U-E-U-E. Q-U-E-U-E is how it's spelled. That is. Um, And then all our shows will be delivered to you as they are released. And you can go to our back catalog, which is all up there online. And you can... uh, Get to it for free and and listen to uh, us from the very beginning. Very true. Very true. And then lastly, we have a Twitter account. Just search for at ITQ Podcast. There we are. Follow us on Twitter. That will keep you posted about what's going on. Now, um, okay, so the sort of – the thing about Star Wars and I find about most Star Wars movies is that the title crawl that goes across the screen – really kind of sets up everything you need to know for, for mm-hmm. getting into this world and into this complicated plot. Sure. Um, the, the, the plot of Force Awakens concerns um, the fact that 30 years after 
the Galactic Empire has been toppled, um, Luke Skywalker has gone into hiding. And uh, there's a map that leads to his location. And uh, at the beginning of the film, Max von Sydow has it. Mm-hmm. And he is about to give it to Poe Dameron, who played by Oscar Isaac, who is a, a pilot who's in the, with the Resistance. He's one of the good guys. Um, before he gives it to, to Poe, the First Order attacks the planet. And the First Order is kind of like the new dark side. They're the new bad guys. The new empire. The new empire. They're being led by Kylo Ren, who's a masked evil villain. And um, right before uh, uh, Poe Dameron is about to get the map, they stash it inside a droid, which is called BB-8, which is what Andrew was referring to as the marvel of practical effects. And they have to escape the planet. Um, While Poe... I'll wrap this up real quick. While (laughs) Poe is uh, trying to escape, um, he gets captured uh, by the First Order and hooks up with a stormtrooper who wants to basically defect from the First Order. And the two of them escape to a different location. More on that later. Um, And then, (laughs) just to kind of give you the final, final tertiary bit of information that you'll need to know, BB-8 gets discovered by Rey, a woman who's on that planet of of, uh, Jakku. Mm-hmm. And um, she she realizes that, that this droid has something very special, and that leads her to a series of other events that then put the plot in motion. Yes. More or less. Um, well, my, my, <laughs> my favorite thing about this movie is, is what J.J. Abrams and company knew we all wanted all along and that is the nostalgia factor Mm. this is not nostalgia in a you know kind of obvious way but Mm -hmm. a lot of the really wonderful things about star wars the force awakens are things that we kind of enjoyed from the first three films that came out in the 70s and 80s Mm -hmm. um there there's a lot of kind of homage going on to the the classic trilogy well yeah i would say even so far as the the fact that probably the number one complaint that people have lodged against this film so far is the fact that it nearly mimics it nearly perfectly mimics a new hope star wars episode four Mm -hmm. it the the plot points are nearly identical the locations seem yep nearly identical the droid There's... carrying a very important piece of information exactly exactly uh all, all of these sort of major beats of star wars episode four or star wars as you will uh are mirrored in this film and a lot of people have said that that is uh, a major downfall of the movie mm-hmm. um and i can see that to a point and I agree with you that they they are certainly mining the nostalgia factor, um, but I think there's a little more going on here as well. Uh, part of it is that J.J. Abrams also understands why the prequels were so unsuccessful. Uh-huh. 
uh, as movies. I'm not talking about monetarily. Monetarily, they were very successful. But as movies, they were pretty garbage. And uh, the reason is that he deviated, George Lucas deviated so far from his own vision uh, that he and, he, and he had such a terrible attitude about it <laughs> on top of that. Uh, he he was he was basically like, well, it's my vision. It's not your like who like who are you to tell me what my vision is? I'm I'm going to do what I want. Um, there's a fantastic South Park episode about that. Uh-huh. Um, and what J.J. Abrams did was he looked at the technology, he looked at the look of things, he looked at the feel of things, and he, I think, in this film, did a marvelous job of recreating that. Even going so far as to shoot this movie on film right they did not shoot this movie digitally which is uh, a big thing nowadays mm-hmm. um the hateful eight <laughs> which is coming out very soon uh did the same thing i think actually the batman versus superman movie is going to be released on 70 in some places but it, i don't know if it was shot on 70 may not be true 70 but um i feel like this still is getting momentum this kind of uh throwback technology yeah, in fact, Kodak said that they're going to be profitable for the first time in in a few years, I think, because of The Force Awakens. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would put it in a very kind of warm and fuzzy way by saying that there was a lot of love that went into this movie. Definitely, um, it was definitely. it's almost like more than almost any movie I've ever seen, it's just pure love from the from the beginning and th- and throughout. Uh they even recreate practical effects for for different aliens um there, yeah, there's even yeah. a scene where they go into a, a bar kind of like Mos Eisley from the first film <laughs> almost almost <laughs> identical to Mos Eisley <laughs> and yeah and there's all these aliens who are hanging around that are actually you know they're there they're they're tactile you can you, you feel like you can reach out and touch them the one yeah. there's a couple of things that I didn't like about the movie and most of those have to do with the kind of stuff you would have seen in one of the prequels where there's a character it's very yeah. significant name, Maz Kanata, who is voiced by Lupita Nyong'o, but she's a CGI alien. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it was dragging me down, man, when I saw that. Both her and Supreme Leader Snoke yeah. were completely CGI, and I and those were the only two characters in the movie that I did not buy. Yeah, and there's something to that, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. because especially when you've got a film where those two characters that we just mentioned are going to be brutally compared to every other character in the film, and they will not measure up to the comparison in their in their tactileness or their realness. Yeah, they yeah. Just won't they won't measure up? And uh, the other part I didn't like was a similar type of of reliance on CGI in a scene where it just, I didn't I didn't feel the sort of the the love I guess to put it that way, and that was. Uh, when we first meet, spoiler alert, but not really, Han Solo. Uh, he was in the trailer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, and there's like, there's that. Uh, it's like Those a, creatures that he had been hunting. It's like a like a a gang fight, you know, where like one crew comes from one end of the room, and then another crew comes from the other end, and then there are these reptilian creatures that attack everybody, and that to me just kind of seemed like a mishmash. It didn't have like a very clear direct yeah well and 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 that was the only time in the film that i felt like the characters even even discounting uh 
Snoke and not Maz, uh, I, it was the only time in the film where I felt like the the characters, and this is probably because they were completely CG, didn't have any weight or presence to them. I felt like they were just yeah filling the space, and there wasn't a lot of sense of danger or anything like that. It was nothing, it was very bizarre. Nothing palpable. There's there's the certain essence that you get from something that's physically there that you don't get from something that's animated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think me and Andrew have bitched about that many times. <laughs> so many times. But on the other hand, this movie is filled with practical effects. It's filled with practical effects. I, I just like the, the bread. When she makes bread by dumping the, the yeah. pieces in the water, and then it just, oh, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, and, and, it, and it was so, um, a, a lot of the battles where you could tell that it was actually physically human beings in stormtrooper costumes or you know, whatever the case was in, in there's a, there's an opening battle sequence where these, the stormtroopers basically raid this village looking for, uh, the map and looking for BB eight. And it's all, you can tell that the entire thing is choreographed and acted by actors. Mm -hmm. There's, there was no, I mean, there was probably CG enhancement to the shots and certainly the blasters and all that kind of stuff for CG. But watching that scene, I, I was just I was I was so happy yeah <laughs> to see that it was real people and there was weight and there was presence and it wasn't like a stupid clone army that that means nothing yeah and there's just an abundance of good storytelling in this film um, oh yeah very good visual storytelling on the part of J.J. Abrams but the script which is uh, co-written by J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan and then Michael Arndt yeah. uh, Lawrence Kasdan actually was the 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 writer of the um, second and third of the original films, yep, and, yep. and uh, also coincidentally wrote uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark too. True uh, story. So Lawrence Kasdan is he understands the Spielbergian George Lucas world of little kid wonder, and yes. and and awe and excitement, and I was very pleased from the very beginning because I knew I was in good hands. As soon as I saw that scene where. John Boyega's character, who's a stormtrooper, uh, he's he's part of the attack on Jakku, and mm -hmm. he, uh, of course, stormtroopers they have no emotion on their countenance; they're just, you know, helmets and outfits, armor. And he, but he he hesitates in this attack while his other stormtroopers are blasting shit away and going apeshit and crazy, and uh, but he kills somebody, and. The, the man's hand uh, wipes across his helmet and leaves. Well, well, he he didn't kill him. Somebody else, one of the one of the rebels or one of the other people, okay, shot the guy. But he runs over to his dying uh, squad mate. Uh -huh. We don't know what that person means to him or who that person is, but they, yeah, they put a bloody handprint on his forehead. Right, and so that's good storytelling because without hearing any dialogue or seeing this man's expression, he's marked. We know that he stands apart from the other stormtroopers. Yeah, and more than that, it allows us to in instantaneously recognize him just a, a short while later when they are given the order to just destroy the entire village and they just start marching through it and killing everybody, and he's standing there not firing. We already know who he is. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It's, it's a way to set him apart from all the others, and it's just a really smart, believable, motivated... Uh, device to do that yeah and it's uh 
the movie is is full of good cinema, good visual storytelling. Yeah, and I and I can't tell you how uh, how refreshing it was to to get back to this. I, I mean, I mean, I know that we shouldn't probably harp on the prequels because they are in the past. They are, <laughs> you know, what's done is done. Uh, but this is this is really what I think everybody wanted to see when episode one came out. This is what. You know, I mean, we were in film school when episode one came out. We were in film school together. I I was having dreams about Jar Jar Binks. That's what I wanted to see. I was <laughs> couldn't wait. Well, there is that whole Jar 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 Binks is a Sith Lord theory that was floated out there that everybody's been getting hyped up about leading up to this film. Um, some people think that he is Supreme Leader Snoke. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> Makes me laugh. But. Uh, that being said, I think that I think that the the level of storytelling, the commitment to the characters, the commitment to real genuine effects, the commitment to the world, the fact that things. Uh, I, I was uh, I was listening to a really interesting video essay that uh, somebody had done for Time leading up to this, talking about uh, why Star Wars is what Star Wars is, and they had talked about the fact that. Star Wars felt like the first science fiction film that was a, a lived-in world, right? Mm. Things were covered in dust, and things were covered in muck, and things were covered in, you know, it, everything Everything felt like it had a lived-in quality to it, right? Uh-huh. So then when we went to the, uh, we, we went from that, you know, the, the original trilogy, and then we, we went to the the prequels, and the prequels were this polished, clean, spotless world that looked as fake as it could possibly look, uh-huh. I think that the, I think that there was there was a, a a distance that was put there between the audience and the world because it doesn't look like a world that we can relate to. It doesn't look like a world that exists. But watching this film, I felt like I was in it again. I felt like I was so much a part of the world. Like it was a world, a, a tactile world. It was a world that I could reach out and touch. You know, but in a way, you kind of have to give credit to the prequels because without the prequels, I don't think this film would ever exist. I don't think it would. Oh, I don't think yeah, it would not exist right. in its present form because because this is film is a direct reaction to what people thought of the prequels. Yeah, I mean, certainly. It, this movie is like everything that we wanted to see that we didn't get from those other movies. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that that um, I, I think that there is something to be said for that. I, I I can't tell you how sort of like childishly gleeful I was watching this. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I mean, there, there are some things that bothered me about it. I mean, there are certainly some, some plot points. There were some dialogue bits that I didn't really love that much. Uh, but, uh, and, and of course the fan service stuff drives me insane. And there was plenty of fan service in this. I think that, um, uh, I think it was that same video essay for Time that I was watching where they – or it might have been a different essay. Anyway, they were talking about the fact that this might be the first Star Wars movie where uh, the fans are essentially the heroes of the movie because uh, Ray and and Finn are uh, are both – fans of star wars within the star wars universe right they uh-huh. know who han solo is they know who luke skywalker is they they know who leia organa is they're just like you know they are stand-ins for us the super fans right right um and so in a sense this movie is about the fans mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if i completely buy that but i think that there is something to be said for the fact that uh they still snuck in some 
fan service here and there, and that really irked me. I mean, Han Solo shooting behind his back to hit somebody he can't even see seems a little bit unrealistic. A melee <laughs> battle between a stormtrooper with a gigantic sort of electric rod and uh, Finn with a lightsaber. I didn't buy it. I didn't like it that much. Those kinds of things really bothered me, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> you were willing I mean, to overlook it. I was willing to overlook it because as soon as one of those things happened, 30 seconds later, I'd be like, yeah, I love it. Everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I also want to mention, I saw this movie in 3D. Oh, yeah. I saw it in 2D on purpose. Well, you know what? The 3D was actually really good. Was it? Yeah. I don't like 3D. I'm not a fan. But I had that was the only time I could see the film. It was I had a very brief window of when I could see the movie, and the 2D screenings were sold out. Somebody I know had said they were going to see a 3D version of the film, and I was like, "Well, what the hell? I'll try it. Let's see how it works. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. learn to like it." And and but the 3D actually was just not ostentatious. It was very motivated. Um, and I tell you, many times throughout the movie, I forgot I was watching 3D. It was that seamless. That's a that's a good endorsement. I mean, that's ideally what 3D should be. Yeah. But I think that people tend to get carried away, just as they do with CGI. They tend to get carried away with the ostentatiousness. Yeah. There was never uh, a moment like in The Walk where <laughs> – with the uh, – what the hell's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt where like something you know flies at you right at the middle of the screen. Yeah. And you yeah. think, okay, this is supposed to be a beat of 3D that's supposed to make you jump. But there was none of that cheapness about this 3D. It was actually really good. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that there's nothing that I can think of in the film having watched it in 2D. There was nothing that pulled me out of it and made me think basically what you're saying. Like, oh, that's a 3D moment. That's something they did for the purposes of 3D. Yeah. Um, and that's that's probably because they, quite honestly, I don't know if J.J. Abrams could care. <laughs> about 3D. I think he they certainly were going to release it in 3D because it's going to make them more money. They just made $245 million in one weekend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> breaking all records ever. Uh, and I think that uh, that it, it wasn't a consideration in making the film. I think that, that the, the them shooting on film is probably a testament to that, if nothing else. Yeah. Um a lovingly done throwback in many ways, uh, not just because it was similar to A New Hope, but also because it was shot on film. Uh, yeah. It's it's an example of uh, a Hollywood craftsman with some sense and, yeah. and not getting caught up like a mad scientist thinking, oh, let's do this new technology just because we can. Let's try it out. Yeah, yeah. And to tell you the truth, I had I had a reasonable amount of faith that J.J. Abrams would be able to do this, not based on, you know, Lost or Alias or, uh, you know, uh, Mission Impossible 3 or any of those things, but based on Super 8, which I loved up until the end, <laughs> where I think that movie totally falls apart. But I thought it was such a beautiful, uh, lovingly crafted film that was in line with the sort of golden age of Spielberg films, like the, the awe and wonder type Spielberg films. Right. Uh, not the kind of modern golden age of uh, political Spielberg films, but, uh, but the awe and wonder, you know, those, those old eighties Spielberg films, seventies and eighties Spielberg films, 
and uh, and so I I could see him taking just as much love and care with this to create something really excellent. And I think that he succeeded for the most part, despite the fact that this has the most blue balls inducing cliffhanger. Uh. I think I actually like the movie flew by for me. And when it actually came to that cliffhanger, I was like, wait, no, 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 no. This can't be the end of this movie. Did you go into the theater bathroom and finish? <laughs> yeah, uh, mental blue wall. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I got it. Emotional blue walls. Yeah. Well, it's funny because as I, as I mentioned in my intro, I having seen the credits eight times, um, I got a little peek of what happens right before the credits at the very oh, end. Yeah. And, and I heard the music and I saw clips of Daisy Ridley walking along some kind of green path. And there's like a, the ocean in the distance. And I was like, wow, what's going on? I can only imagine. Is she, is she doing some, like some, some training or some, you know, Tai Chi or something all by herself. And then to actually see the film and see, Oh, She's actually going to the end of the movie, which is wordless, is yeah. uh, her finding Luke Skywalker, yeah. uh, which it's a good it's a good cliffhanger. And uh, it is. And I actually like the fact that they're going to do the opposite of what Peter Jackson did with The Hobbit and have three different directors uh, yeah, make, yeah. make these movies like at separate times and make. Yeah, the next one is Ryan Johnson. That's right. Yeah. Who's that? Which is I'm very excited about. I don't think they've not locked down the third director yet. So there's still I still have a chance. <laughs> yeah, you do. You uh, do. Yes. Um, yeah, but Ryan Johnson, of course. I I loved Looper and I loved Brick and mm-hmm. the Brothers Bloom. Um, so I think that'll be really interesting. Uh, but yeah, I you know honestly I was so happy with this film despite the sort of. A few minor flaws here and there. I think that this was as good as we probably could have expected a a, a new Star Wars film to be, um, coming off of the pedigree that it had. So I I actually heartily recommend the film, and I think that people should go out and see it and enjoy it. Um, I, I think that uh, it sets up the franchise well, although it does bother me that we're going to have one of these every year for the next five years minimum, probably for the next 10 or 15, if they can do it. Uh, that's a little frustrating, but hmm. you know, well, hopefully, you know, they'll maintain the quality of them, at least for the first few. Well, the next one's going to be star Wars rogue one. I think it's going to be about one of the X wing pilots. Uh, it's going to be like a side. It's going to be in the universe, but not having to do with the plot of the, Oh, okay. Other films. And so every other year they're going to do one of those. And then. So you're going to have blue balls for another few years then? Well, two years. It's supposed to be two years between episode installments. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I also I recommend the movie. It It's a winner. It delivered. I was not disappointed. Uh, overall, I really liked it except for a few nitpicky things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. If you haven't already seen it, Check it out. Yeah. You may already feel like you've seen it after listening to this. Anywho, um, that's our episode about episode seven. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Stay tuned for our next episode, which is going to be a listener's choice episode about the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yeah. So join us for that. And 
Happy holidays. Happy holidays.